0: You're listening. No, you're listening to the Buns.com podcast network. <laughs> buns, Buns, Buns. Hi,
1: everyone. Steven here. And before we get this episode going, I want to say thank you. As we grow this conversation in this community, know that your support and your feedback are not only imperative to make this podcast better, but also appreciated. I also wanted to mention that next week, we will be making a rather big announcement, so make sure to keep your eyes peeled. And in the meantime, happy 150th birthday, Canada, and happy 241st birthday, America. Music from today's episode comes from Wolf Saga, and as always, at the end of the episode, we will play a track in full. You can connect with us on social media and at sustainablejoes.com. I look forward to hearing your thoughts, and I hope you
0: enjoyed today's episode. I think this is where we fall into one of the biggest fallacies Um, and I think you know ultimately misunderstanding this problem or mischaracterizing it could be the difference between us succeeding as a species and civilization and failing and that's this whole idea that well either I'm helping the environment or I'm making money they're not compatible.
1: From Sustainable Joes, this is 2084, a podcast about designing tomorrow, creating a sustainable future for all, told by the people building it today. Hi, I'm Stephen Such, and on today's show I sit down with Zachary Lefebvre, the CEO of Mio Electric, a man on a mission with a company which is working to change the electric vehicle landscape across Canada. In this episode, we talk about how America's electric vehicle adoption rate is three times that of Canada. We talk about how you're actually more likely to run out of fuel in your gas-powered vehicle than your electric vehicle. And we talk about the future of mobility, illustrating how regardless if you prioritize a clean agenda, a green agenda, or not, moving forward, electric vehicles just make sense. Okay, monologue over. This is my conversation with the CEO of Neo Electric, Mr. Zachary Lefevre. I hope you enjoy. Zach, thanks for being here. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. So we're starting a new uh, approach with the podcast, and that is quite literally to record for thirty minutes at a time. I want people to recognize that that you are real. You're you're a person, but also kind of like what drives you. The idea behind the podcast is, is 2084. It's a nod to Orwell's 1984, but instead of the dystopian big brother dynamic, what does designing tomorrow look like? Creating a sustainable future for all told by the people building it today. And that is why it's such a pleasure to be sitting across from you. You're the CEO of Mio electric. Yep. Uh, You guys are engaged in the electric vehicle infrastructure space. What do we need to
0: know about the electric vehicle infrastructure space, and, and what is Mio Electric in general? Yeah, so Mio Electric, we started with really the vision of, of helping get in, to get Canadians to, to drive more electric vehicles, uh, because this is this is something that you know probably most Canadians are mistaken about. We think of ourselves as relatively forward thinking on issues like global warming, um, but. If you actually look at the United States, today they're adopting electric cars at a rate three times faster than us. Really? And a, a big part of that comes down to this big chicken and egg problem, which is do you put in the electric vehicle chargers first or do you wait for everybody to buy electric cars first? And you know, what governments and businesses uh, have kind of figured out around the world is it's a combined approach. We need to be encouraging individuals to buy electric vehicles with different kind of government incentives and programs But we also need to make it realistic for them to be able to drive the electric vehicle. And that means putting in infrastructure at their workplace, putting in infrastructure places they shop, and of course, along the highway as well. So what does Mio Electric do then?
1: Are you the chicken, the egg? Uh, You know, what
0: what came first, the food, the wine? (laughs) Yeah, so what Mio Electric does right now, we offer a turnkey service for electric vehicle charging solutions. So if you're a business, if you're a municipal government, uh, or if you're even an individual and you want to promote electrification, uh, you're going to look at installing an electric vehicle charging station, maybe at your parking lot, if you're an individual in your garage. Uh, So you come to us and we work with a whole variety of manufacturers. So we're going to be able to offer you the best product for every every particular situation, again, whether that's workplace, whether that's highway charging. Uh, and we're also gonna be able to partner that with the expertise of having installed many, many electric vehicle charges in the past. So we're partnered with electricians all across Ontario and Quebec, uh, who are specifically experienced in installing these stations. So essentially what we're trying to do is make it easy for people to put in the infrastructure. Before we started this business, if you were a really keen early adopter, you could spend a long time online reading about manufacturers of electric vehicle charging stations, learning about the technology. You could call five local electricians and see which two or three of them would be comfortable with this type of technology. But we're really simplifying that whole process um, and that's why we call it a turnkey solution.
1: It's funny because when you say simplifying, when you, you talk about those turnkey solutions and making it easy, you know, we're in downtown Toronto today. I have Toronto, like the city of Toronto, permit parking for my street.
0: How do we all, like, it's not, like, I couldn't have an EV if I wanted to. Like, how would I charge it? There's guys in the UK who live exactly on a street like you do. They don't have a, a driveway and they wired their electric vehicle charger from their house and they have a long cable that they drag across the sidewalk and plug into their car and they try to get the, and, and this is a huge issue because that's highly illegal in a I lot of I was just ways. gonna say,
1: is that even illegal?
0: No, not not remotely. Uh, but it shows that there's a problem that th- that's developing and it's gonna get worse. But I would take that one step further and saying, okay, an EV is prohibitive for you because you you happen to not have easy access to parking. But there's a lot of people who have a garage only dro- drive 20, 30, 40 kilometers to work, that's the perfect use case for an EV, and they would be the perfect customer for an EV, 360 days a year, but one week a year, they take a trip up to the Muskokas, or they go down to the States, or they go to visit relatives in Quebec, and because of that one trip, they're not gonna buy an EV, because they they know that it doesn't have the range, and the charging infrastructure isn't well, there. Well, you have that range anxiety. That, that's the word we use, is range anxiety. And and it's important to characterize the problem in the right kind of way because statistically, actually, uh, uh, an ICE driver, internal combustion engine. I was just
1: going to say, what does ICE yeah, mean? Yeah, so internal
0: combustion so engine. So we have
1: EV, electric vehicle, yeah, and ICE. You have
0: EV, ICE, and then you have a, a whole host of hybrids. But largely, you have EVs and ICEs. Um, you're actually more likely to to run out of gas on a a per-kilometer-driven basis just because everybody with a a gasoline vehicle takes for granted the infrastructure, whereas everybody with an EV knows that they have to watch their charge. So it's a bit of a myth that you're going to get stranded on the side of the highway. It's it's more of a conceptual problem where people are looking at their their family, looking at their lifestyle, saying, is an EV practical for me? And we're doing everything we can on the infrastructure end to make the answer to that question, yes, you know? Well, I can't charge on the street. Well, what if, uh, you know, you go to work every day and you could charge every day at work? Well, then even if you're not charging overnight, you come home with a, you know, 80% full battery, you get back to work with a uh, 60% full battery and you charge all day while you're at work, repeat that cycle and you're completely fine.
1: But what does that cost the business? Like, I mean, because obviously you need to have that infrastructure at the business. Yeah. And I assume that cost is going to be to the business owner.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be the business owner. Um,
1: Not that the cost isn't to all of us. Well, I mean,
0: that's the whole argument with cost. You know, people sometimes throw up their arms over the subsidies that are involved with electric vehicles. But you have to realize for the past hundred years, there's been uh, a multi-trillion dollar subsidy. On carbon burning vehicles, right? Nobody's paying for the negative externalities of lung cancer that happens to people living in cities. Nobody's paying for uh, all of the the negative environmental consequences. Um, So, yeah, there are subsidies right now for electric vehicles, but even today, you know, if you calculate this out, there's a, a multi trillion dollar annual subsidy on cars burning petrol and what, a couple. $100 $100 million worldwide put towards EVs. So it, it it hasn't tipped in an unreasonable way, at least in my opinion. What would be unreasonable? You know, I think more calculation needs to be put into to public policy. Because um, ultimately, when you look at it, the reason why EVs make sense is, is not because they're pushing a clean agenda. It's because they actually make sense. Uh, a Honda Civic has something like 2,500 moving parts in it and a luxury EV, a Tesla Model S has 18 moving parts. Really? in the car. Yeah. So, you know, you think about if you own a car, how often you pay for timing belt changes, for oil changes, maintenance in general. Yeah, even brakes, you have to change the brakes in an EV far less often because, because of you can do regenerative regenerative braking um, and 18 moving parts. Yeah. blows my mind. It, entirely different um landscape and and the thing we have to realize too is is this is not a brilliant breakthrough of the 21st century the first evs were on the road at the same time that the first ice internal combustion engine vehicles were on the road in the late 1800s um when cars first started showing up in cities you had electric cars and you had gasoline cars someone you know you got to give them credit someone fairly smart came along and said hey we're going to make a lot more money selling people refined petrol than electricity so let's kill the electric vehicle project for now and then you know there was a resurgence in the 70s with the, the with Chevy's EV1 you know so now is the time that that it's come back again but the the difference this time is is EVs are here to stay and the faster that we can get Canadians to adopt them, the more we're going to mitigate kind of the negative externalities. There was a there was a study that just came out um, in Toronto that people living close to highways had a 7% or 9% more likely chance of developing dementia over their lifetime. Um, and that's just from the toxic particles that are emitted by gasoline vehicles um, being inhaled on a more frequent basis. How did Mule Electric get started? Yes, yeah, so. It's been quite a journey, and, and one of the things you were talking to me about before I came here is, uh, you know, of the CEOs you're gonna have on this podcast, I'm I'm younger, I'm only 25 years old. Yeah, you're by far the youngest. By far the <laughs> youngest. But
1: uh, Stephen the, Campbell, number one, was well into his 50s. Ron yeah. Seftel, you know, has triplets who are, yeah. if not in university, uh, right now uh, on on their way. I, I don't and, think. And, you and the reality is, kids. you know,
0: being in my position where I am, you spend. You know, you spend a lot of time uh, with people who, who treat you as a peer, and what you end up talking about is how their kids are doing, and their kids are your age. <laughs> yeah. you know, um, that's got to be an interesting experience. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, but I think that the most important thing is you know, being an expert in your domain, and also humility and understanding what you're not an expert in. And, and I'd say there is a big gap between, you know, me when I was 18 years old, and, you know, three ventures later, four ventures later here at uh, at 25 years old. Hey everybody, a minute of ads coming your way because, well, I get green
1: beer for green chats from Steam Whistle and Buns host this podcast. So first is Steam Whistle Brewing from their 100% renewably powered brewery, their green bottles which can be reused up to three times more than a standard brown bottle quote unquote steamless list proud to support sustainable joes as we work to create a sustainable tomorrow together 2084 is also thankful for the support of buns your city network buns connects you with the people in your neighborhood to help you find the things you need to fuel your real life or swap things you already have to get items you need you can also find jobs that pay the bills homes for rent. Advice, and just a place to talk about your city. Buns is available online at buns.com. That's buns with a Z, and on your phone via the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Lastly, this podcast is publicly funded. Thank you to all of those who support our monthly Patreon campaign. And if you have the capacity to contribute or would like your business to be highlighted right here on the Sustainable Joes 2084 podcast, send us a message at sustainablejoes.com that's joes with an s because whether you are joseph or joe and together we are a group of joes and together we're going to change the world now back to the show
0: i actually grew up um, i grew up in ottawa but then for high school i moved to beijing china
1: really yeah can you speak mandarin
0: i can fluently haibo <laughs> What does that mean? <laughs> not bad. My, my Mandarin's not bad. It's Sound, not perfect. Sounded pretty good. Not perfect.
1: So you go to Beijing for high school?
0: So I go to Beijing. My parents work in tech. They work for Nortel. Um, and Nortel? You know, great Canadian um, tech uh, store. They were the biggest Canadian company in the world for, for decades. They were the biggest technology company in the world at a point in time. They had a uh, market capitalization bigger than Apple, and, and it all came crashing down. So, so one of my drivers is actually to, to reignite... Uh, kind of this Canadian technological leadership that we've lost with Nortel and BlackBerry, you know, meeting the unfortunate ends they did. But I went to Beijing, and and that certainly influenced my thinking because, in a way, living in Beijing is living in what Toronto could be in 2084. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a vibrant city. There's, I see what you did there, and I liked it. There's a lot of multiculturalism there, but there's also probably a good 20% of the population who walks around on the streets with masks over their face because they're afraid of breathing the particles. And, and the studies vary, but essentially spending a day in Beijing has the same impact on your health as smoking a pack of cigarettes. For how, like, In a day? In a day. Wow. Yeah. In terms of the toxic particles you're inhaling. And so I, I got this glimpse into the future and, and I love Beijing. I I love China, and I I go back as often as I can. And culturally, it's so fascinating. But they have this huge pollution problem. And it's got to be wild, just with like 1.3 billion people. Yeah, you know, Canada has 37. Forget about forget about uh, China. Beijing has a population. The Greater Beijing area has a population of somewhere between 30 and 40 million people. So So you take everybody in Canada and you put them in one city. That's what you've got in Beijing. And so, so I come back to Canada. I go to McGill University. Uh, I, I get involved with my first business while you I'm study? at McGill. It's a, I studied uh, Mandarin yeah. to get better at my Chinese, and I also studied computer science, and I also studied finance. So fairly multi- multi-disciplinary approach. And at the same time that I was doing my undergrad, I started a business that had nothing to do with Mandarin, finance, or computer science. Uh, you know, we were doing you know student construction businesses. So rather than hiring the contractor, come hire the, uh, you know, the students to do work for you. Um, And that was my kind of first entrepreneurial endeavor. After university, I actually kept running that business and we grew it to, you know, we were doing a couple million dollars in revenue. Wow. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, it was a fairly large organization, but at a certain point I realized it's not going to have... It, it, there's always going to be space for another construction company. Um, and I wanted to do something that would, would really impact the future of Canada or, or create opportunities like opportunities had been created for me. So, so a, a technology giant, like Nortel and the experience I got to have in, in Beijing and that's all gone now. So I think we need to kind of reinvigorate Canada's, um, technological drive. And that's not to say there's not, Dozens and hundreds of people doing that because you just look at the initiatives that are going on in Canada.
1: I, I, when I was 22 or, or 23,
0: like I, I didn't have a multi-million-dollar company. Mm-hmm. Do you fund this this current endeavor? Yeah. So the current endeavor is funded by the money I made with the last endeavor, and that that's where we basically get to, to Mio is not immediately after the construction company, but I came down here to Toronto. I actually lived here for four months, so I know gotcha. the neighborhoods pretty well. And that was during a program called The Next 36, uh, which you're looking for examples of great things happening in Canada. That's another one taking young entrepreneurs, exposing them to uh, all kinds of resources for improving the way they think about business. and building their startups. Um, and so I did the next 36 and we tried to start a venture there. And, you know, it, it didn't work out. And so the thing I would highlight is, you know, it, I, I think I got to this point as early as I possibly could. Right. You know, there were a lot of failures. There were businesses that didn't work. There are aspects of my construction business that definitely didn't work. Um, but at, at a certain point after doing the next 36, it came down to looking at, you know, what kind of impact can we have on canada and what kind of impact can canada have on the world and when i just came across the statistics of of how far behind we are on adopting electric vehicles um like the last time i checked the the, the official statistics norway about 33 percent of their new vehicles purchased were electric but i saw something on on facebook so i, I haven't checked the statistics but it said over half of over half of the um the cars purchased in Norway are electric or hybrid, which could be true because my statistics. Let's could look be, it up. I got my computer ready. Right yeah, here. well, well, I, I know for sure. You know, thirty percent are electric, but if you add in the hybrids, so I mean, we're not talking about an impossible thing. Yes, Norway is a slightly smaller country than Canada, but you know, they're reducing their transport carbon footprint immensely, and so why aren't we doing something here in Canada? And I think it comes down to you know just Canadian conservatives conservatism and kind of saying let's watch what happens in the US and, and we're, we'll follow a couple of years later which is a good strategy when it comes to you know like the global financial crisis. It's good that we weren't as heavily leveraged in our, in our financial system but it's a bad strategy when it comes to you know polluting our cities, causing climate change. There's no reason to wait to act on mitigating that or reducing our impact
1: or, or having a positive impact. Exactly. What were some of your first projects? Uh, like, do you remember your first project? I came back to Canada to, to start a solar company. Yeah. Participating in Ontario's feed and tariff program. Yeah. I remember like, installing the, the first solar array that I ever did. Or yeah. The seventh. But like, what are some me- memorable projects for you? Like, I was reading you, you guys did a, a project on Parliament Hill.
0: Yeah. So that's obviously, uh, you know, a, a great project project on a a large scale but kind of the most memorable ones are probably the early ones and you know we hadn't sorted out all of our our manufacturers and who was making the chargers and at one point i had a customer in quebec who wanted a charger that was only available in the united states so we shipped it to a little mail depot on the border I drove down from Montreal an hour, an hour and a half. Montreal is very close to the border. Uh, but I still drove down. I picked this up, brought it through customs, paid the duties, and brought it to the customer uh, because, you know, he wanted this charger and we wanted to make sure he could get it. We didn't want another Canadian to choose not to buy an EV because he couldn't, you know, get the get the product that he wanted because it wasn't available in Canada yet. So, you know, that was very memorable.
1: That's a beautiful story. Yeah. I, because it's... Uh... And, and that's what it'll take, right? It, it takes the, the going above and beyond. I mean, to make any, yeah. any business successful, but when we talk about that, that move to the building a sustainable yeah. tomorrow, Dan Ariely in our film, a, a component that's not in the film, is that Dan says, you know, one of the biggest things we can have people do is when they're making big decisions, they make the more sustainable choice. That being said, I, you know, we want to bridge the gap between planet, people, and profit. Do you consider yourself more... A environmentalist, or or a businessman.
0: So I think this is where we fall into one of the biggest fallacies, um, and I think you know ultimately misunderstanding this problem or mischaracterizing it could be the difference between us succeeding as a species and civilization and failing. And that's this whole idea that um, well either I'm I'm helping the environment. Or I'm making money. They're not compatible, uh, and that's just plainly wrong. I mean, California is the perfect, uh, perfect proof of that. They, they 10, 15 years ago were promoting sustainability in a, in a big way, and now clean tech in California is one of the biggest industries there. Um, people are making billions of dollars on clean tech, and at the same time, they're making the world legitimately a better place. They're re- re- reducing uh, carbon footprint, and I think. What we have to do is, is learn from history, and we have to say, we have this system called capitalism. and it essentially has been the most effective way of reshaping the world. Like you look at the world 2,000 years ago and you look at you have high rises today, you have uh, highways, you have you know, AI, you have the most advanced technology, and all of that is driven by profit and capitalism. And, and so you don't want to turn that into the enemy. You actually want to harness that and say, well, if I can align profitability with reducing carbon or reducing pollution, uh, not emitting particles that, that cause cancer or, or cause dementia, um, I think that's the most powerful way to change the world. And I think there's amazing nonprofits out there and they do, a, you know, they do great work. Uh, but I think we need more for-profit efforts, you know, more triple bottom-line companies you know, that, that care about the environment, society, and profit. And that's what we try to do at Mio is align the incentives. Make sure that you know, our business development people like Adam are incentivized. And, and the more charging stations they get installed, the more money he's going to make in commissions or raises or whatever. Um, but at the same time, the more people are going to adopt EVs, and the cleaner Canada is going to be, it's the it's the, the cleaner system, the world's going to be, the cleaner the world's going to be, and the great thing is, you know, the incentives are aligned in our favor, right? It's actually cheaper to drive an EV than a internal combustion engine vehicle when you look at the cost of fuel in Ontario. We have ridiculous electricity prices, right? Everybody can agree on that, um, you know, and they're going down now and whatever. But- I mean, I, I actually I don't know that I fully agree on that
1: personally. I mean, I, because of the negative externalities. I don't actually think we pay
0: what we should pay for, for clean air. I mean, we, we don't pay anything for clean yeah. air.
1: We take it for granted. But let's just take what the, with the average
0: Canadian it, sitting in their living room watching the hockey game is thinking like, oh, damn, the, you know, 20 cents a kilowatt hour. is so expensive. Um, but even at that high rate, the fuel to power your electric car is about half the cost per kilometer as the, as the petrol you buy. I want to know what, what's coming up for Mio-Electric. Is there anything else you want to talk about? You know, there's one thing that, that, that keeps jumping into my head, just the different things we've talked about, and, and that's, you know, what can you do about um, helping electrify Canada? And one thing is obviously spreading the word about everything that's going around, but in a lot of cases, the more uh, impactful thing you can do, if you have a relatively fuel-efficient, uh, you know, if you have a Prius that's already a hybrid, if you have a Honda Civic, that's a pretty efficient car, and you bought it three years ago, you're not actually gonna have the best impact um, necessarily by trading that car for an EV today. But if you see your friends who are about to buy a new car, convincing them to go test drive the electric cars is, is what we need to be doing more of. Um, because when you buy a car, that's anywhere from like a five to 15 year commitment. Um, And you don't want to be still polluting 15 years out. Like if you're in your Honda Civic, it's three years old There is a a carbon cost that goes into producing an electric vehicle So ideally you want to be getting people to switch electric when they're gonna be buying a new car anyways Um, and I'd say go out and try the electric car because and This is an anecdote, but everybody I've talked about in the community. Nobody has um, Had an electric car and gone back to a gasoline vehicle the earliest adopters you know, they love their electric cars so much that they bought another electric car just because it's funner to drive, you have better acceleration, you know, constant torque. Uh, so tell people to go, get a, get, go to a test drive. And, and less maintenance. And less maintenance. It, it just makes so much sense. You know, do yourself a favor. Go to a Chevy dealership, drive the Bolt. Go to a Nissan dealership, drive the Leaf. Even go to a Tesla dealership, drive the Tesla, uh, and see how you know a hundred thousand dollars sports car outperforms a five hundred thousand dollars Ferrari. Not even a hundred thousand dollars sports car. A hundred thousand dollars sedan. A hundred thousand right. dollars sedan. <laughs> that can fit seven. That people. can fit seven people. Outperforms a five hundred thousand dollars Ferrari on zero to one hundred kilometers. Like. What is this? So, what's happening in twenty seventeen for Mio Electric? So, what's happening with us, and that's the last thing I'll touch on, is the government of Ontario has some great programs on the consumer side, where uh, if you buy an electric vehicle, you can get up to fourteen thousand dollars in incentives. But they're also investing on the infrastructure side. So, the reason I'm actually down in Toronto today uh, was we we had a meeting yesterday with the Ministry of Transport to see how we could help them, uh, you know, accelerate. Uh, the implementation of this infrastructure. Uh, So for us, our focus is moving, you know, towards the bigger infrastructure projects. So uh, how do we get chargers along the highway that can fill up your vehicle in gasoline equivalent times? How do we get chargers, you know, where you can stop in Kingston, take 10, 15 minutes to fill up your car, and then drive all the way to Ottawa? Um,
1: Which, for those of you who aren't aware, Kingston to
0: Ottawa is, 200 kilometers? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. But, I mean, it's it's generally... So 150, 100 to 150 miles. If you have your gasoline vehicle and you fill it up in downtown Toronto, you can drive to Ottawa probably in one shot. But most people who drive Toronto to Ottawa are going to stop along the highway at an en route, fill up uh, their gas tank. And right now, the infrastructure for EVs is such that you have to stop, you know at least for an hour, maybe for two, three hours, and that just makes it impractical. So we wanna speed up that infrastructure. Working with uh, the government of Ontario is gonna be a big uh, big part of our 2017. Um, but other than that, just staying on top of, of the technology, and our vision is really to try to bring the most modern technology back to Canada, right? We don't have to be behind the US. We can be a leader in this space. You, you look at the formation of Canada 150 years ago this year, right? We're in, in 2017, uh, 1867, uh, but we weren't really a country until about 15 or 20 years later uh, when the Canadian Pacific Railway was completed, and then we were really a nation. And then there was no way the U.S. was going to annex us, because you know we were this economic force, we were this cultural force, um, and so we can do infrastructure, and I think we should be a leader in electric infrastructure. And so anything that we can do to help that is what we're going to be working on in 2017 and for the next 10 years.
1: For the listeners out there, wh- how can they help you?
0: You can definitely follow what we're doing on on Facebook, on Twitter, at MEO Ele- Electric, MEO Electric. Um, and... Again, get your friends to to test drive the electric car when they're going to buy a new electric car. If you're th- buy a new car, if you're thinking about buying a new car, do the electric test drive. Uh, you know, if you're really passionate about this, you know, get in touch. We're always looking for community allies and partners. Um, you know, my name's Zachary Lafave. You can find me pretty easily on social media as well. Um, but send us a note, mioelectric.com.
1: Beautiful. Um, thanks so much, eh? And thank you for everything you're doing.
0: That's why we're doing it. <laughs> Don't know what else to say there. Thank, thanks for having us. I think this is a, a great initiative and uh, you know, I, hopefully we can be back.
1: That was my conversation with Zach Lefebvre, the CEO of Mio Electric. You can find out more about Mio Electric at MioElectric.com. Now before signing off this week, I want to recognize that both Canada and America will be celebrating birthdays before our next episode is released. And on the note of social inclusion, I want to leave you with some words from Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. We may have all come on different ships, but we're in the same boat now. As always, if you know someone or some company that is creating a sustainable tomorrow today, let us know at SustainableJoes.com. And maybe we will highlight them right here on the Sustainable Joes 2084 podcast. As always, thank you to Koji Nagata and the entire Buns Podcast Network. Thank you to Steam Whistle for the green beer, and thank you for listening. You can subscribe to 2084 on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and please do us a favor and leave us a review while you're there. Lastly, thank you to everyone who supports this project. We are publicly funded, and if you have the capacity, please consider a monthly contribution to our Patreon campaign. You can find the link at sustainablejoes.com. Music for this episode was provided by Wolf Saga, you can find them on Facebook by searching Wolf Saga. Thanks, Johnny. In closing, I want to thank you for listening. It is an absolute privilege to make this podcast. And might I suggest we all take a little bit of Zach's advice and go test drive an EV sometime soon. I'm Stephen Such, and make sure to look out for our next week's announcement because it's going to be a big one. For now, i leave you with the track from Wolf Saga. Bye for now.
0: Felt this alive caught a wave all your own We finally found our throne Relax
1: love.